Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So I want to split today's episode up into kind of two segments. Uh, Starting off with the markets, which is markets and, and the economic perspective, which is why a lot of you guys are here in the first place and and i want to you know that's my bread and butter and i i've obviously gotten sidetracked over the last week on this whole topic of the coronavirus which i'm not apologizing for i think it's not only super important but it's also something that is super interesting to me with that being said we can't ignore the markets and the economic perspective and all this and that's what i want to start off today and then kind of wrap up with a coronavirus wrap-up but starting with the markets, it's, you know, a lot of people over the weekend were, were really excited for, interested, and in, in, I don't know if excited is the right word, depending on what side of this you're on, but, but interested in the market open on Sunday night. You know, Sunday night was exciting for the Super Bowl, and it was a good game, fine game, played by both teams. I was happy to see Andy Reid and, and the Chiefs pull that one off, but uh, there was also the market open. And it wasn't just the market open, the futures in the United States or whatever. It was the Chinese markets. That's what everyone was looking for. And it wasn't just because of, of you know, the weekend. It was because Chinese markets haven't been open since, what, like a week plus ago because of the Chinese Lunar New Year, which traditionally they closed for. And it just so happened that this Chinese Lunar New Year falled, you know, fell in, in a time period, which I think in history may go down as one of the most difficult periods for China, I mean, this is to be concluded, this is this period that I'm referring to is not over, but one of the most difficult and trying periods for the Chinese economy, for their markets, for the people, for the society, and for the Chinese Communist Party. Not only because of, of this coronavirus, but everything that led up to it. I mean, I have this feeling now, I've, I've been doing this for a while, not as long as others, but I've, I've had this podcast, this slash YouTube channel since you know, the, the September or October of 2016, right? I, I've been talking to your guys' ears off for many years now. And, and some of you, by, by the grace of God, have stuck with me. I haven't felt this way about China in quite a while, if ever, to get in the sense that the writing is on the wall. Maybe not for the Chinese Communist Party. Maybe not in the sense that this pandemic is going to infect like half of the population and kill millions. Maybe not that far. But economically speaking, and obviously their markets and 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 the currency, wow, it feels like the writing is on the wall. Because not only of this coronavirus, but everything that led up to it. I mean from the from the beginning you have an economy that since the Great Recession, probably before that, has been dependent on credit growth and liquidity. I mean, sound familiar? I mean, this is the United States in, in many ways. This is much of the world. Very similar playbook, except China has just taken it to a whole new level. And part of it was that they just had so much room to grow back, not only in economic growth, but also for this credit growth and for 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 
liquidity injections, you know, back in 2008, 2009. And, and since then, the name of the game for China, but also for, for global economic growth, has been just that. Never-ending injections and interventions by their government, by their central bank. They saved us probably three times, globally speaking, if you want to call it saving us. You know, brought us out of a global recession because of their, you know, their own economic growth, their own credit impulse, their own injections. It was the, you know, Great Recession. They helped pull us up by our bootstraps, if you want to call it that. Whether you like it or not, that was the case. The Euro banking crisis, 2015-16, you know, shale bust and 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 uh, recession scare, all of that. Uh, the 2008 recession scare, even 2019, and, and you know part of that was tax cuts and other stuff too. But but all along the way, I mean, the Fed gets a lot of credit, but China does not get the credit they deserve. But but heading into 2020, you, you have a country that is not engaging as nearly as much of that intervention as in the past. And and for my opinion, because they're they're looking for a soft landing, this is gotten out of control. They've known it for many years. They've been talking about it for many years. You know, this risk of a Minsky moment, of a total collapse, of inflation, because this gets out of control and the system demands too much of that same drug. And when that drug is delivered, you get an overdose. And so that's a, you know, that kind of sets us, you know, heading into 2020. You already have lagging economic growth in China, you know, recently dropping by official estimates or official numbers in China below 6%, according to some other financial institutions, well, well below that because we know their economic data is doctored. Again, does that sound familiar? Um, and, and on top of that, you have, have uh, you know, the U.S. economy, the global economy moving towards what would appear to be a recession. And then you have a pandemic, in 2019, I'm not talking about the coronavirus pandemic, which probably started in the second half of 2019, probably the last quarter. Who knows for sure? Maybe someday we'll know. But I'm talking about the, the African swine fever, which does not really affect humans, but actually swine, pigs, which obviously the swine flu did too. But but it's led to the deaths of, of a huge amount of their pork populations, of their cows. Sorry, pigs. Let's get my animals straight here. Pigs. They're swine. Huge amounts of their herds culled to stop the spread of this African swine fever. And that already put a huge strain on their economy, but their society as well. A huge amount of food inflation. Because all else being equal, when you take away a ton of supply, they have to buy it from somewhere else. And, and the overall cost of food goes up. And I mean, that's that was already something they were dealing with heading into 2020. A situation that has not been resolved, if anything, made worse by the current outbreak of this coronavirus, and then they get slammed by this. And it was evident Sunday night. Despite the fact that China banned short selling, uh, made it very difficult, borderline illegal, you know, basically that is ask for permission, if I remember correctly, to, to sell more than a certain amount of, of equities and, and whatnot. And, you know, they injected hundred-plus billion dollars worth of, of, you know, into the system of, of credit or, or liquidity. Despite all that, you still had a huge impact on the markets. You can see in the commodities, maybe more obviously than, than the Chinese stock market. You, you've seen it over the last couple of days in things like copper, but you see it in crude oil. You see it to some extent in silver, although silver has been, been gaining as, as gold has, has held steady. 
Uh, you see it in, in iron prices. I mean, just really across the board. The writing looks like it's on the wall. And yeah, you're going to see the, the Chinese stock market maybe not drop as much as you'd expect because of these interventions. It's a heavily manipulated market. But you still had a situation where you had, I don't know the exact number from, from Zero Hedge. I wish I had a photographic memory. But but still like thousands, a thousand plus companies limit down. Like they've gone down too far. We're going to halt trading, which is the case for a lot of markets. You know, that's how they happen a lot of times worldwide. And that, that's insane. The situation in China, despite all this intervention, you wonder how bad it would have been had this intervention not occurred. But, I mean, that's what authoritarian governments do, whether we're talking about covering up a pandemic or covering up a bear market in, in their equities or, or whatever other assets. They, they manipulate, they intervene, they, they hide, you know, the true sense of what's going on. And this has, you know, to some extent spilled over to the United States. U.S. bond yields, which is, I think, a huge story, moving to the downside. Uh, I think the yield curve had already been inverted for like over a week now, or, or at least you know, coming up on a week for a while. The U.S. 30-year, not the 10-year, but the 30-year moving down below 2% or around 2%. Again, I don't know the exact numbers. I wish I had a better number, uh, better memory for these numbers. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, you have, have gold really holding steady despite a rising dollar. You know, silver holding steady around $18. I mean, there's still a huge buy. I, I know I, I'm... As much as I'm neglecting markets and, and uh, economic talk over this past week plus, I've been neglecting gold and silver even more. But this is all, I think, hugely bullish because we're already seeing a hint of what the Fed and, and other central banks are going to have to do to to stop this this recession, which, as I said, you know, the writing is on the wall for the Chinese economy. I think it's the writing's on the wall for the global economy. Huge amounts of stimulus. I mean, you're already seeing... The odds of a rate cut for the, from the Fed in uh, 2020 move up to like 90, 90%, right? Which is a far cry from where it was a couple weeks ago or a month ago. It's crazy how these things can change so quickly. Uh, global negative yield and get, which again, this is hugely bullish for precious metals, coming up on $14 trillion worth. T, trillion with a T, $14 trillion worth of negative uh, yielding debt globally, which is not a new high. I mean, it was up above probably 17 trillion back in the 17 ha- back in the second half of of 20. 20- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 2019, but still on the rise and, and probably won't stop anytime soon. You know, if you're looking at the price of copper and some of these other indicators, you know, the, the bond yields are probably going to drop even further in the not too distant future. It's getting bad. I mean, it, it, again, it looks like the writing is on the wall for the global economy and for the Chinese economy. This could be the black swan that we've been waiting for. And I've said that for a while. You know, the best case scenario with, with this coronavirus is still probably recession in China and a global recession because I, I fail to see how the US global or the US or the global economy can maintain positive growth with a negative growth in China or a China growth moving closer to zero percent. Remember their equilibrium is probably well 
much, much higher than, than the United States. Their equilibrium for their GDP. So, how about that coronavirus? You know, last time I checked, I think 11 confirmed cases here in the United States. You know, I'm recording this 4.31 right now. Here in, in you know, 4.31 p.m. Central Time in the United States. By the time this is published, by the time you hear it, China likely will have released a new day's worth of data, or at least the Hubei province. I don't know about all the other provinces. By the time you hear this, the total case count will likely be above 20,000. The deaths will be well above 400, maybe above 500, who knows. There'll be more cases globally. This is getting out of hand. And, and I'll tell you what I'm watching. Three things. As it relates to markets, cases in first world or western countries or whatever you want to call this, United States, Japan, South Korea, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, all that jazz, right? Uh, that's something I'm watching. Because that is what's really going to, I think, make markets and market participants concerned about a real global growth scare. Because what's happened in China in terms of, of factories and shops closing and, and just decreased economic activity, that can very easily spread to the United States and to Europe and Japan in the blink of an eye with more case counts. Maybe not to a complete standstill yet, like it has in China, but still, if nothing else, a major slowdown in, in transportation and airlines and obviously oil prices, which affects the, the shale sector, and eventually probably those other things as well. Just overall, a society and therefore economic activity just slows down. So that's number one. Number two, in China. Yes, I mean, Wuhan and the province of Hubei is really at the epicenter of this pandemic, obviously. But what I'm looking for is, is what happened, you know, what is the case count in other provinces and other cities? Because I'm convinced that, yes, we should be highly suspect of this data in the first place, whether it's actively manipulated, probably the case, or they just don't have enough case uh, test kits or, or ability to t you know, test these tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of, of individuals, probably also the case. And it's also reflected in the suspected and the observed cases numbers, which they oftentimes also publish. You know, the city of Wuhan is probably wildly inaccurate in both the death count and the confirmed cases. But in terms of confirmed cases, it's probably going to be a little more accurate. Again, probably manipulated, but maybe more accurate in some of these other provinces, which have been moving into the hundreds and soon to be thousands of cases. That signifies a pretty significant spreading. And, hey, right now air travel from Wuhan is, is basically a no-go unless a country's flying out their own citizens on a special trip. But a lot of these other provinces and cities, I mean, Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, I know, is it China, is it not? Um, uh, Guangzhou and, and, and so many other cities, they're, they're still flying a ton of domestic flights and a ton of international flights, right? And that's, I mean, there's no sign that that's going to stop anytime soon. So that's bad. And so, you know, that, that, that just increases the likelihood that this is going to spread to other countries and spread within the borders of, of China. I think that gives us a better pulse of where this is heading or where it's at right now in terms of 
case count. But then the third thing, which I think is the most concerning, because what's happening in China and the Western world and the first world the United States has a huge bearing, yes, on the well-being of people and, and people have and will continue to die. But it also has a huge effect on the economy, which remember, a recession, a depression can be hugely damaging to a society and it can still be very deadly, very detrimental. But what about those countries that do not have the same capacity, the same resources of the United States or Japan or South Korea or Australia or New Zealand or Europe or even China? I'm talking about countries like the Democratic Republic of the Congo or Nigeria or Kenya or Somalia or Mozambique or Tanzania or just Western African countries as a whole or India or Bangladesh or Sri Lanka Cambodia, Malaysia, Vietnam Laos Indonesia Philippines you know we can continue on this list of these third world countries and I, I hesitate to use that term but I mean that's what it's accurate I mean I don't want to be stereotypical and think of like you know China or sorry Africa is just being a, a dirt poor country because it's it's made some growth right and, and India is not just a bunch of slums but there's a certain truth to that stereotype they are not prepared for a pandemic what happens and here's a concerning thing like there's probably cases here in the United States or in Japan that haven't been detected in communities or, or, or hospitals, schools that will spread this coronavirus in pretty big ways. There's super spreaders out there that haven't been caught and will infect dozens or hundreds of people. Right? That's concerning. And that's fine under the radar. That's the stuff that we don't know. I mean, you think you know, people are afraid of, of what we do know? What are they going to react to when, you know, if they knew what we don't know? We don't know what we don't know. But how true is that for a city like Mumbai? Or New Delhi or Delhi or whatever it's called these days. Or Lagos in Nigeria. Kinshasa, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Nairobi in Kenya. You know, how true is it for those cities which just don't have the infrastructure... Maybe the awareness of this disease spreading in the first place. I mean, these symptoms are so similar to the flu, to, to uh, um, pneumonia, or I mean, pneumonia is more of a symptom, but but the cold, the common cold, or a ton of these other diseases that are endemic in some of these regions. I mean, this could be festering under the surface in a community near you, and I'm not trying to spread fear by that. That's just the truth. You know, and it, it doesn't have to be just Chinatown either. It could be whatever community. But think of how much worse it's going to be when or, or if, I mean, it very well probably is, is festering under the surface in some of these cities. We might not hear of it, you know, a case here and there, until we're talking hundreds or thousands of cases in some of these cities, some of these communities. That's when things could get really bad because it's hard to control those larger outbreaks. Nigh impossible. Right? And and those may not, you know, Western Africa, for example. Uh, what are some of the big, you know, Sierra Leone and, and what, probably Ghana and, and some other 
Ivory Coast. I don't know exactly all the countries that were involved in the Ebola outbreak in 2014. But the risk to the U.S. and the West was less than the situation with China. Because there's just so much less global travel out of those countries. It exists, but it's just not to the same scale. Plus, the symptoms were so much more obvious. And the death rate was higher, so it burnt out pretty quick. Still, a lot of people died. But what about, you know, a city that is very highly connected around the world, like a lot of these Chinese cities, like Bangkok or, or um, Ho Chi Minh City, or gosh, you know, I'm just, whatever, I'm just spouting out cities and geography that I guess I'm familiar with. Manila, these Indian cities I'm talking about. You know, those are fairly well-connected cities, maybe not to the same extent of a Beijing, but still well-connected. And those can, you know, cases can spread from there very quickly. That's what's concerning to me. And yet, they may not be as economically significant, though they are significant, may not be as economically significant as New York City or Los Angeles or Wuhan or Beijing, but believe me, they can still spread cases very easily and they can still cause a major economic slowdown because of the hospitalizations, but also the precautions that will inevitably be put in place. That's what I'm really watching here. Those three things. Cases spread abroad to first world countries. Cases and deaths in some of these provinces not named Hubei. And cases and, and local local pandemics in, in some of these third world countries and cities. They're, they're undoubtedly already there. So this isn't meant to incite fear. But this is meant to inform. And, and I think what people need to be informed of is that, yeah, you know, I see this a lot. Yeah, the, the common flu, influenza, is a big deal, the seasonal flu. And as of, you know, so far, it likely has killed more people than this coronavirus. But the coronavirus still has a higher death rate you know, basically the entire population is to some extent susceptible to it. No vaccine yet. It's by far the, the larger threat if it's not brought under control. And every day that it continues, allowed to continue to grow, we get closer and closer to that point where this is too far. Maybe we've already hit that date. Or where this is too much to control. And it's just not realistic that we'll be able to. So... As always, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for putting up with all my coronavirus talk. But again, it's driving the narrative right now. It's hugely important, and it's something I enjoy talking about. So as always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless.